Welcome to episode four of the Business Innovation Series. We've had a lot of guests on so far to talk about some of the larger policy changes that needs to happen to enable businesses to come back to life after coronavirus lockdowns. I think it's important though to put the spotlight on some small business owners and find out exactly how they got to where they are and kind of capture some of the essence of the way they think because a lot of us are having to become more entrepreneurial in this season and I think it's the small businesses that really are the engine room of the economy. So this podcast we sat down and talked to a local business owner here in Melbourne, Nathan, who runs a computer store. It was a pretty interesting podcast. In the first half, he talks about some amazing things like in the USA, he actually buys Milo tins and rice from Walmart retail, just like a customer. And then he resells it on Amazon and people love it, which is fascinating. In the second half of the podcast, we went into some more political things and what his take is on what's happening here in Melbourne, in Victoria, and also on where do people draw their motivations from and, and their abilities to start businesses or grow them? So I hope that this uh, gives you an insight into small business in Melbourne and gives a bit of inspiration that any of us can do it. Any of us can get out there and actually have a go just like Nathan has. It's probably one of the most inspiring people that I've had a chat to in a very long time. If you're old enough to remember computers, they used to be a specialized device sold in specialized stores for specialized purposes. But somewhere around the 90s, they became pretty much commoditized. And now, where you buy a computer is basically determined by price. I met my guest today, Nathan Jungwood. Jungwood? Yes, correct. I, I met my guest, Nathan uh, Jungwood, uh, when I was trying to buy a new computer uh, for this show to make premiere videos a lot faster. And I was fascinated to discover that he's been running a computer store for six years now in this commoditized landscape. And this is our series on business innovation and how businesses can grow and survive through the COVID crisis. And I thought, what better guest to have than someone who is trying to do exactly that? And the truth is we've had a lot of large guests on the show, big companies, but that's not the engine room of our economy. Small business is where it's at. That comprises the very large majority of the business activity in Australia. So it's my pleasure today to welcome Nathan to talk about not only his business, but where the computer industry has been, where it's going and what his plans are for the future. And most importantly, what we can do to start and succeed in small business. So Nathan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Awesome. Now, let's correct all the errors I made in that introduction yeah. because I'm not sure. Um, the, the computer industry, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by the way that they used to be specialized. <clears throat> I remember going to Dick Smith yeah. in, in uh, 1996 or somewhere around there and it was $4,000 for a, a 386 old computer and could barely do anything. Yeah. But there was this mystique around it. I remember there were salespeople telling you what it can do, what it can't do and all that. And now it's, it's just like a milk chocolate yeah, bar right that's it yeah so many options around with hardware specs what you're trying to build what you're trying to achieve as for you you'd know as well trying to build the specifications of the system to mm. do video editing mm. requires something completely different someone who wants to play games mm. you know full-time or just browse the web or as a coder mm. they're different specifications different different requirements well do you how do you how old are you do you remember the, 32 okay so it was a similar age i'm yeah. 34 yeah. so you would remember when we were kids we didn't really have computers right mm. Yeah. When do they come into your life? Um, actually, my dad had it at his accounting practice and mm -hmm. it was still um, 
command prompt. Oh, so yeah, they yeah. had the first version of uh, like Microsoft. I think it was on Windows three point one. So that had GUI, didn't it? Uh, no, I still think it was like oh, okay. typing and it was yeah. green. I just remember so Microsoft Word would yeah. come up, you know, CD slashback, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but that was the first time I saw it. They didn't do much mm. for me, mm. uh, obviously, but for them it was great because it was you know digital processing of uh, documentation mm. and printing. So yeah, that was about the first time. It would have been maybe four or five years old. Oh, that's quite early. Yeah. Because we're talking uh, nine, early 90s, 90, yeah. 92 or something. Definitely, yeah. So then, okay, when did they become more ubiquitous? For me, it was in school. Yeah. Like year nine. Yeah, yeah, for me too. So they were just starting to get laptops. In grade five at our school, we had the Macs though. We had Mac laptops. The and colorful again, one. Oh, no, it's the laptops. black and white screen. Yeah, oh, okay. so yeah. they were obviously limited to what we could do, no games and all that. I think that's why the school's got them so yeah. we could install our own uh, applications on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Microsoft Word, and that was it, pretty much grade five. Yeah. And then, yeah, um, year seven, no, year, year 10 for us yeah. is when HTML programming was, IT was an actual full-time class for okay. us and an elective in year 11 and 12 as well. So that's when it started to really get interesting for me. I tried to do a certificate A plus in computer repairs when I left school, but online learning was a little bit boring back then. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you've been fascinated by them from a young age? Yeah, yeah. Okay. definitely love them. Gaming side, I've built a few when I was younger as well. Yeah, okay. So because you've built them, I yeah. love, I mean, that's why when I said I need a computer, you're like, yeah. hey, there's some pre-built ones that are really powerful, probably cheaper. Yeah. It's like, no, nope, I want to build it. Yeah. I love choosing components. Yeah. It sounds like you enjoy that side of it too. I do, yeah. So you would recall back in the day when there were, it was a bit, I guess, less commoditized, whereas now I feel like if I buy a graphics card, yeah. Gigabyte, Asus, MSI, whatever, they're all yeah. the same Intel chips yeah. or NVIDIA chips or whatever. Exactly right, yeah. And then, and then now, how do you even compete in terms of sales? Because if I buy one from you for $460 mm -hmm. or from $480 up the road, mm -hmm. they're the same thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's about the margins I get from the wholesalers. So um, the back end of the current system that I moved to is more of a procurement system. Right. So um, it gets everybody's wholesale catalogs for me and finds me the cheapest price. So what you see on the website is best for me and best for you. So it works really well. As compared to the system I was on previously, yeah. I just got a feed and I had to manually change it. How do you manually change 6,000 items? All oh, right. You know what I mean? And I was constantly losing money or losing sales because the price was too high. It wasn't competing with you know market fluctuations. Well, okay, well, let's talk about this because I find, uh, from what I can tell, I've got a lot of experience in business, but not in, in your industry. Yeah. And it seems to me like your margins are thin. Yeah. Uh, it depends really on the item and it depends how the supplier is wholesaling and the relationships they have with particular brands. Mm. Um, so like a couple of my suppliers have really good relationships with um, uh, Western Digital was one, but then there's other six suppliers, they're just not even comparable. So I could sell a good Western Digital hard drive, green drive real cheap. You know, that's um, funny because in my PC build, yeah. the, the thing you really saved me a lot of money on was the Western Digital Drive. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And it's like, yeah, so it just depends on the components and the relationships they have with right. the manufacturers, you know. So, okay, in terms of margins, though, because businesses might be uh, surprised to find out if you sell a, I don't know, $130 hard drive, mm -hmm. you're not actually making 50% on that. You're making, correct, yeah. I assume, $10 yep. or $20 or something on that. 25% is where I have it set at retail. Um, so I've got a little bit of wiggle room to then work with customers um, that obviously like yourself, put a system together, I can discount it. Because mm -hmm. if I've put my, my you know, 5% straight off the top, what, what am I gonna discount? What am I gonna make? Mm -hmm. Why my business? What's mm -hmm. the point, mm -hmm. you know? So how do you compete then against big players? Like I'm thinking MSY in particular. Yeah. Because they're really cheap. 
they are really cheap, but only on certain components. Other stuff is competitive, but right. not on everything. Again, like it just goes back to the relationships that my suppliers have with the manufacturers. Um, some hard drives, uh, they do just, you know, they're dollar difference, $2 difference. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can still yeah. kind of compete, yeah. you know, yeah. on, on a broader picture if someone's putting a whole package together. Yeah. And then if they need installation or something like that, that's a service MSY does not offer. Oh, good point. You know? Good point. Yeah. So I try to value as well of what can I offer you. You can call me and speak to me. I don't know if you've gone into MSY. Nothing against their business have, model. They, they don't want to talk to you. What do you want off the list? That's Buy right. it. Please get out. You know? And if you have a problem, good luck. Yeah, exactly right. I've had a problem with a few of their cheaper power supplies when I was purchasing off them as well. You go back and take it. She goes, you make sure this one's okay because you're not going to return the next one. I'm like, wow. what do you mean? Like, yeah. How can you say that to me? If it's not functioning, if the pins are coming out of the yeah. PSU, like, yeah. it needs to be taken back. You know? okay. So stuff like that I find if I can try to interact with my customers more personal, give me a call, send me an email, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I feel like it adds a bit of value to you know just an e-com store. Do you think that's what's missing in the PC market? 100%, yeah. I think it's missing off a lot of just e-commerce in general. You right. know, it's just run an ad on social media, try and get the people there, what's your conversion, you know, uh, your ROI on the ads that you've spent, you yeah. know. Try to make that personal sort of uh, experience. So why, why do you do that though? Because most people like what you say would just set up a drop shipping thing and yep. just, I'm just here to make some money. Yeah. Why do you, so why do you go further and are you, what are you trying to build here? Just the longevity of my business, realistically. Yeah. Like why, like you said, why, why me? Why not MSY? Why not Cinecom? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, well, yeah, I've got to make the difference, don't I? Okay. Not only monetarily speaking, like to be uh, uh Competitive, mm. yeah, but also what, what what do I got that someone else doesn't, you know? Okay. Is this your first business or have you done others before? I have other businesses, but this was my first, this was my um, first business that I incorporated, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, right now we're going through ridiculous times in terms of business, businesses being crushed under lockdowns. Yeah. Um, how are you going and how are you surviving? Are you surviving? I don't know. I'm barely scraping through, to be honest with you, with all my other financial commitments. I have an investment property and the way my businesses are structured, it's not, I don't have anything in my personal name, mm. if that makes sense. So my investment properties and my other investments are in trust. Mm. This is my business. The way I structure it is I get in my revenue through my businesses mm. and then they're dispersed throughout the companies where they're needed. So yeah, I'm struggling in the sense because all my contract work I do, I'm a fire technician as well. So I do mm. ESM maintenance mm. as well. I'm contracting to a fire company mm. and that was good going well through lockdown because it's an essential service. However, um, there's no there's no more maintenance required apart from mm. panel testing, which doesn't bring in a lot of money. And then um, obviously I'm a securities installer as well, doing CCTV and alarm. Mm. We're not allowed to be in people's houses doing security installations. Really? Yeah, it's oh. not it's not, not an essential service. Yeah, it is an essential service. I'm allowed to do it in empty buildings or empty houses. But people that want the installations are at home. If I get caught doing that, which I don't want to, you know, so I don't do it. So their wow. revenue stream gone as well, isn't it? You know, That's ridiculous because what we're doing right now is classified as an essential service. Yeah. This yeah. is legal, but you installing a security system, not essential. It is essential, but I said, like they said, specifically either. people cannot be home, right. empty house or in construction, you know, right. then the construction rules were brought in that you can only have five people inside, including the site manager. Mm -hmm. So you got a multiple amount of trades. I might be there once a week, mm. you know, which I was when we were doing a rough in for um, fire detectives on a, a certain floor and in Collins Street in the city. So we're there one day a week instead of smashing that job out. 
in three days. Mm. It's it's spread over what a month, two months, you know. So then you bill after the services are done, and uh, you're dragging out the time that it's taking me to finish an installation job. It's crazy. Okay. So you know? your revenues must have collapsed by fifty percent or more. Easy, yeah, yeah. probably close to eighty percent. Some 80%. weeks it was zero. Wow. Yeah. Okay. If it wasn't for JobKeeper, and again, it's just scraping through, just paying it's not my a lot bills. of money for yeah. business. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So it's really affected you, and and even before this, as we start, as I started with this industry, which I think is very competitive. Mm-hmm. How have you survived so long? Six years. I think you're in a tough industry. Yeah, it is highly competitive, highly saturated, and I'm yeah. com- competing with. How it started was um, my friend was starting his own solar business and solar panels. Solar panels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the time, uh, two thousand and between two thousand twelve two thousand fourteen. And he was talking about either getting them from Germany or China. Mm. And I'm like, how are you going to source that? We're going to go to China because I was working with him with this business. And he goes, no, Alibaba.com. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. So I'm like, you check it. He goes, check it out. It's where all the Chinese manufacturers go. It's mm. the marketplace. Mm. It's like, you know, the eBay of China mm. manufacturers. So I jumped on there. I was like, look at all this, you know, $8 for this, $7 for this. I sell this. I'm going to be rich. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was like, that's a bit. I did some research. I'm like, this is mad. I'm just going to make it, you know? So I incorporated Jung Tech. And then uh, I bought my first three products, uh, four port USB wall chargers was my first and um, foldable mouses at the time, mice, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the time. And I thought, because the four port USB wall chargers back then, they weren't a thing. Uh, like Balkan had a two port and yeah. they were selling them for $38. Right. And I was like, oh, that's mad. I picked these up for about six to $9. Yeah. So for 15 or something. You're going to kill it. You know what right. I mean? Did you? No. Oh. <laughs> All right. No, I didn't, unfortunately. Unforeseen things that I didn't see what were happening was I've uh, noticed that to learn from the the manufacturers or the wholesalers in China then sting you with a massive shipping fee. So right. you get your units down to whatever it is for 100 to 200 yes. units. They want you to get 1,000 to yes. 10,000. Yes. I didn't have the kind of money up there. Yeah. I wanted to test it out. So I got them landed around $9, which wasn't too bad. Yeah. And then, yeah. but you got to add in things that I didn't foresee. Advertising. So I was spending $99 a week on Google AdWords management plus $10 a day to $20 a day on advertising plus shipping. So if I wanted to absorb the shipping cost and incorporate it in the price, we've got $9 plus what, you know, $11, $10, whatever. So I'm already 20 at bucks. 20 bucks plus all my money that I for my advertising. Now I was getting the sales and I was moving the units, but at the end of the day, I was breaking even just on advertising and costs, not my product. Okay. So at the end of it, I thought, what do I do? You know, so try it again, try to get more and all that sort of stuff. And advertising expenses go up. You got to get more market share. People are doing yeah. this, you know. So it was like, well, how do I, how do I get more products without spending money and making a mistake on something? How do you do better um, product research, yes. market research? Whole other things I need to learn. That just, you know, I thought I'm going to buy one product and be rich. Yeah. It turns into a whole other thing. Well, this is really encouraging to me because I have a lot of people talk to me about how do I start a business map because they're out of a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've been, whatever, retrenched. Mm-hmm. They want to get entrepreneurial. How do yeah. I be an entrepreneur? And they're at that stage you just described. Yeah. They're seeing items on Alibaba or wherever. Yeah. I'll get it in for X dollars and then they freaked out. Oh my God, it's not going to work. Yeah. So here's the key. Mm. How did they and how did you jump beyond that wall yeah. into some kind of a sustainable and profitable business? Um, I tried to jump on every trend that I could as quickly as possible to make money and then figure out how to get those products without outlaying, outlaying as much cash. And that's where the drop shipping sort of model comes into play. I, the next thing was um, e-cigs back then. It was like massive. So I thought- It was just, five years ago. Yeah. yeah. So I could sell those. It'd be great to jump on that too. And they were from another um, 
Chinese uh, supplier, Banggood. It's the same thing as like AliExpress, sort of the retail side of the wholesale. Them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's a, what a ridiculous name, true. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I put all the e-cigs on there and then mm. uh, the, that's what, you know, I tried to do to see what is trending online, what people are buying through mm. various search terms on Google or it depends. What, what tools these days are different. I can't even remember what I used back then. For instance, if you were looking at something to sell on eBay dropshipping from AliExpress, mm -hmm. you use a, a, a service called SKU Grid, SKU right. Grid. Right. You can go on eBay, look at someone's top selling items, plug their name into this software, and it'll show you the top selling items, and then it'll show you where to get it from a retailer on AliExpress, wow, what service. the margins they're making and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So back then, it was for me a bit of a hit and a miss. Now it's about services and products and software that do that job for me, so it's no more guesswork. So what are the barriers to entry if I was to start a competitor to your business, yeah. how much of a threat am I to you or am I not a threat at all? Depends. Are you going to be doing dropshipping model or wholesale? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it depends what avenue you're going to pick because then you can, if you're doing wholesale, you can yeah. go straight to one of 12 suppliers yeah. of tech in here in Australia and negotiate good wholesale terms. Which is what you've done. Yeah, some items, but yeah. not all. Yeah. And um, yeah, then you can also just do a wholesale account without even putting out any money for wholesale items as well. Oh. So it depends again. And then as your, you know, your, your dropship accounts with these wholesale get better, you go back and negotiate even better terms and say, hey, do me better margins because your volumes are up exactly right yeah so there is certain ways where you can pick and choose what is your method what do you want how do you want to do it if you've got an established um sort of traffic flow to your website mm. it'd be great you see your sales ticking over and you want to add your catalog to be larger mm. then maybe go down that route because you've got the traffic you can negotiate sales straight mm. away mm. start off with your lower margins on your um you know your your dropship account with a great supplier mm. and then go back and say guys come on sort me out you know so why why have you why is your revenue dropped if what we're talking about you're providing should be going up during yeah, lockdown right? That's true. Unfortunately, I made a switch from platforms. I've I've gone from I've done six e-commerce platforms yeah. uh, over my years. Probably once a year, I'm changing to get different mm -hmm. functionality. Mm -hmm. So I moved from a platform called Neto. Um, last year or the year before to Glue. Mm. Glue is a procurement system for MSP that it's mm. used basically for quoting mm. IT products for you know installation and sale and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Neto was an e-commerce platform. Mm. It had missing functionality for me that I couldn't get multiple feeds and then tell Neto how to price them, change the pricing fluctuations on my site. So I had to do this manually. I'm like, I don't have time for this and I'm losing money, not making enough mm. money. So I moved to Glue. Now, Glue is not an e-commerce platform. So major difference between them was exporting my uh, product range onto feeds, onto shopping comparison engines, mm -hmm. eBay mm -hmm. and Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I've lost, there's 12 comparison, major comparison, sorry, 12 major shopping comparison engines in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, I've lost access to those, eBay and Amazon. So now I'm all left is advertising revenue straight directly to my website, which is costly and inexperienced in yes. itself. Yeah. I made my most money on Neto from my shopping comparison engine websites, all right? And they were 40 cents a click, yeah. okay? It doesn't matter if someone didn't didn't buy a show yeah. when it's only 40 cents, yeah. I can deal with that, you know? Yeah. I made my most money sometimes spending $7 on advertising on one shopping engine and bringing in a couple grand okay. in, in profit, you know? Yeah. So now I've lost all that side and I have to build it up again by using scrapers and other softwares to get back onto those platforms. Okay. Which is what you're doing now. Yeah. So it's a, you know, you lose one functionality, but you know, I've gained others by not, by the prices being displayed on my website are correct. And I'm, if I make a sale, 
it's not going to be losing money because they're updated in real time. This this is what it, what an up and down journey. Yeah, it's not easy what you're talking about. No, it's not. It's it's you know plus the field worker come home after hours and I do all this work to get it right. And sometimes don't get me wrong, I really feel like you know it's like what's the point? Yeah, you know, yeah just throw in the towel. But I feel like if I can master highly saturated, highly competitive market, oh, man. I can apply it to anything else and yeah. kill it. You know. If you master this, yeah. oh my goodness. That's I feel like I've come so far, what's the point of throwing in the towel now? I've learned so much along the way and there's no real school for it. And yeah. you have to take it as for what it is, I feel. You know, I could be wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Well, do you, you say there's no school for it. Do you Would that have helped you if you had some kind of thing to help at the beginning? Or do you think you have to go through errors and, and yeah, failures? I feel like there is no... There's The way that Alibaba and AliExpress have changed in six years, yeah. like what's... What is it going to taught me at the time if there was a school I had who oh, probably source okay. wholesale or drop shipping models and all that sort of stuff? It's just highly yeah. competitive now and just changing, you know? Okay. So people who want to start something yeah. now, what do you think they should do? How, how, how should they start? A short course. There's a short course? Yeah. Like online? Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, and don't pay more than 200 bucks US for a course because they're not worth it. Okay. Um, honestly, they teach you so much like that um, SQ... SQ you, grid. Yeah, grid that I spoke about before was taught to me in a dropshipping, eBay dropshipping course. Right, okay. uh, Sarah Woodwin, he's some guy from the UK. Yeah. Uh, he has, and then what also is even better is that they've got a community on Facebook. Oh, I helped out. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he's got services with virtual assistants as well that are yeah. trained specifically in doing AliExpress dropshipping to eBay or whatever chosen country that you desire. Yeah. They understand how to model it and play by the rules. And then again, like, I'm moving into trying to get virtual assistants as well to do full-time ventures like that, have Amazon business in America and eBay as well. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have to worry about that sort of side of, you know, it's automated in a sense, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you um, find that, that that whole thing is worth doing for people who might be wondering whether I should just go and get another job or I should start this? I mean, how long does it take? Mm. Would, would they be kind of cutting the teeth for a month without profits, six months or 12 months without profit? What do you reckon? That's a good question. And it, it comes down to the marketplace you're choosing to sell on, mm. okay? Amazon Australia, for me, garbage. Absolutely nothing. Why? Okay? Why? It, it's, it's giving me nothing. Like, so the pricing's too good for the consumer? No, meaning it's the, the volume and the people adapting to the platform, it's not there for uh, me yet, right. okay? Yet. However, yeah. me selling my Amazon business on America, yeah. just drop shipping products from Walmart, yeah. yeah, I'm doing $35,000 per month in just revenue. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, this is crazy. So you're you're not even in America. We're in Australia. Yeah, that's true. And you're getting stock from, from Walmart? Walmart, yeah, into retail. Yeah. Retail? <laughs> retail. Relisting it for profit onto Amazon US Marketplace and the sales are just through the roof. And yeah. you're never seeing the stock because you're sending it to FBA warehouses, fulfillment by Amazon warehouses. No, it's just directly, Walmart just ships it directly to the customer. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> How is that possible? Why are customers paying above retail? Because you're adding 20% or something to it. It really depends on the product. And yeah. again, so like without not getting too super amount of detail, because it can be a little bit boring, but metrics are really important on mm -hmm. Amazon as well. There's a thing called the buy box. So if uh, 100 people are on the same listing for an item, how does Amazon decide who gets yeah. that person? Yeah. So it's a, basically it's a queue 
buy box, you're next for the buy box, you're next for the buy box. It's based upon metrics, reviews, mm. um, how many sales you've made of products across your store and other SQ, uh, other listings, product mm. listings. Um, so yeah, it's 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 mental. So it just happens to go through the buy box and it doesn't matter if the price can fluctuate just a little bit by a couple of dollars. Well, can you give me an example of one product that you get from Walmart and you resell? Sure, uh, rice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Rice, uh, five kilos of rice. Yeah, whatever it may be, people buy <clears throat> Milo Milo tins or whatever. It's just why would TV, I buy gym sets, whatever? Man. Yeah. Why would I buy five kilos of rice from your Amazon store for twelve dollars when I can get it for Walmart for nine? <laughs> do people no, do it? I can't answer the question. I find it just crazy in itself. I think the ease of just it's here. I search it on Amazon and I get it, and the way that Amazon works. But you know, there is a downside. Amazon in America has. Like, I don't like their customer base without sounding too terrible. I find that a lot of, a lot of thieves on their on their uh, their customer base. False stuff, returns and stuff. All that sort of stuff, yeah. They open up A to Z claims, you know, and they try and get the products for free quite often, you know. So you have to make sure your profit margins are there as well as your metrics being high and all this sort of stuff. Because Amazon will usually side with the customer, you'll take the loss. Instantaneously. Okay. I just, so I woke up to this morning to two notifications, all right, of A to Z claims instantly opened it, gave the claim straight away. One was $456, you know, that was a thousand bucks. And it's just like that gone, you know? And I have to now go through the appeals process, yeah. you know what I mean? But I, I don't do a personal, I got virtual assistance, but you know, it's still, it's just time, time and money. And like, if they never reverse it, the customer kept the item and I take the loss. Well, okay, so, because we all love Amazon as consumers because of that, yeah. but there is someone on the other side yeah. wearing it. So, yeah. And it's not Amazon. Yeah, no. So people think, oh, it's, it's Amazon, they're big. You know, I can do a little bit of a dodgy little lie here, mm -hmm. but they're not hurting Amazon. No, they're hurting us. Yeah. And and like Amazon keeps their 15% final value fee mm. and I got to, they take the money straight out of my account. I can't dispute it, nothing. So I guess you, you fight those things or do you just build it in like you say into your profit margins and just wear most of it? So just specifically about the A to Z claims, yeah. um, there's a whole process where you keep appealing it, keep appealing it, yeah. keep appealing it. And usually it's just closed straight away by a bot. There's yeah. a lot of AI, I, um, AI processes Amazon got now. So you try to do different sneaky little things like yeah. add a picture in there so a human has to look at it. Oh, Once wow. they look at it, they might review it. I got suspended for two months and they kept $40,000 of my money for two, almost three months because they hit me with price gouging during a pandemic um, for adjusting my prices to paper towel to reflect Walmart's increase in pricing. And then they right. held all my money. And like- uh, So your paper towel went up how much? Did you triple your paper 15 percent okay it's just normal it's fluctuations not even, it's not even nothing crazy and they put an artificial ai bot to do pricing policy price gouging is illegal blah 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 hold my money hold my money and they're like what are you going to do to fix this policy and they're like retrain the staff go through all this stuff need more information what more information do you want mm. and you can't speak to a human being mm. so it's very frustrating policies that amazon has and people don't understand it's on the back end whereas i sell on ebay and their customer service is completely different the caliber of individual uh on uh, uh, purchasing from ebay i find is high quality downside is that they take 20 percent final value fee compared to amazon at 15 percent yeah that said you're still going to continue with amazon it's working for you of course i am so i'm um, actually in going to be incorporating my first American company yeah. and I'll be switching over to being completely American based over there for the company, the currency, because right now I'm also dealing with a 5% loss of currency conversion oh, on my right, credit card for right. purchasing as well. And then uh, complying with local taxation laws, I've yeah. got tax exemptions in a couple of states over there, I have to mm -hmm. do filing every month and all that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit, you know, it was my first venture um, and 
it's going well, mm. but it could be better. And learning again through this curve of mm. you learn these things, you make the mistakes and try to get better at it, you know? Did you ever have a normal job, Nathan? Yeah, of course. Well, I was um, doing uh, junk tech, first getting off the ground, all yeah. this stuff had to be funded out of my pocket. So I just did normal, worked at Telstra, the Telstra store in the city, the Icon store on Tech Bar yeah. for a couple of years. In Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. did, did, did um, pick packing. I did, the jobs that I chose, I tried to make them sort of dead end, so to speak, where wow. they wasn't expected for me to get promotions or work yes. harder. Yeah. So I did things like driving forklifts, warehouse yeah. work, because you know, just you know, do your job. You, that's what's expected if you go home so I could just get my money and put it into my businesses. So have you always had that entrepreneurial bent straight out of school? Yeah, I've always enjoyed it, trying to look for those opportunities where to make money because, um, you know, I don't know how to look at it. Like You're stuck with what you earn in the, sometimes in a nine to five, aren't you? Definitely. Even if it's 150 grand a year, you're yeah. stuck. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And also you're stuck as my father's a CPA, 35 yeah. years. Yeah. He's taught me everything about the business and taxes and all that sort of stuff. You're also stuck in tax bracket. Yes. You know? And you can't do anything about that unless you do negative gearing and other yeah. things, you know, have high business expenses that you need to claim. But again, that's also limited versus company structures and trusts. Mm. So I think it's very interesting to learn these things because it's not just what should I do going back to your original question. Mm. I know we sort of, you know, got off the path, but you know, what should I do? It's mm. really hard to say specifically because mm. you need to understand so many different things before you just go for it. Unless you're happy to just go for it and learn from your mistakes, you could really just throw a dart at anything and just pick it, you know? So what do you think about this idea of people who, as I said, are in jobs, lost their jobs, want to go, I've got friends who are trying to do this. Yeah. I'm a little bit scared for them in many ways because mm -hmm. they're 45 or what, mm -hmm. 50. Mm -hmm. They've spent their whole lives in a certain mindset of nine to five. Yep. And, and when things go wrong when you're employed, mm -hmm. you go to your employer and say, help. Yeah, There's it. nowhere you can go when <laughs> things go wrong. Help me, cover my ass, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about those people switching over into entrepreneurship? Uh, like I said, the short courses and be very open to mistakes and just don't throw in the towel too early. You need to see it through to the end. Do you think they should do it though? Or just depends what they're doing. It's hard to say. Like again, like what are they going to do? Set up a gym or something like that, you know? Mm. Drop shipping model. Like, yeah, I, I give it a go. Like the easiest thing honestly to do would be drop shipping from AliExpress or mm. Banggood onto eBay or Amazon. Because realistically you're setting up a store if you're going to incorporate incorporate a company or not is a separate expense. If you're not, do it in your personal name for two to three months. If you're making money, Make incorporate a company. company. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Give it a go. What, what do you got to lose? Nothing, especially in a dropshipping model. You set up a store. You identify yourself. You pick what products you're going to put on your mm. store and you have to sit there and fulfill them yourself instead of someone else fulfilling them. Give it a go. It was probably the best time now on JobKeeper, JobSeeker, everyone's yeah. sitting around. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Pretty safe. Okay. Yeah. It just depends on the business model, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So what's your, where are you going with this business? You're going to obviously keep expanding it, changing into other things, but where do you see yourself going? Business for your whole life? Is that what you love doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually just incorporated another company with my cousin in the fire protection industry. Mm. So trying to get that more, more field work. This is the way I see it. Uh, I've been doing the marketing side of, you know, junk tech to get mm. um, flow into the website and it's getting more and more expensive and harder. They keep changing algorithms and their organic reach is almost at nothing. Mm. And you have to pay for everything. So how can I do, how can I get in front of more people? as cheaply as possible. Mm. And I just think the more field work I do and the more conversation I have with customers and tell them about what I can give them is, oh yeah, this guy did a great install. Here's his card, refer it to a friend, friend refers to them. I want to get back to that organic reach as best as I can. Okay, and why, but why are you doing this? Because I love it, I really enjoy it. 
you know? Yeah. I really enjoy the tech side. I have always enjoyed yeah, being in the field, playing with wires, computers, whatever it may be, I really enjoyed. I'm a qualified NBN technician as well. Four years I was in the field doing that as well. Please fix my internet. So <laughs> after this. So you are you are literally passionate about what you're doing. I you, love you it know? so much, man. I can't stand being in like a retail environment when I was in Telstra, I was on the tech bar. I had to yeah. be on the tech bar, like, please get me away from, you know, doing that sort of office stuff. It just drives me crazy. I love being out the field, love being active. I just find, you know, challenges every day. Yeah. Just, I don't know, it makes me feel alive, I guess, you know? Okay. So are you driven by that every day, kind of this feels good, like going to the gym type of thing, you know, yeah. building my business, or are you driven by a big goal? Like when I'm, you're 32, right? Yeah. When I'm 40, I want to be retired, I want to have a mansion. Yes, as well as because I can see that the revenue potential that I can get from doing these things, as well as me enjoying it, is just mm. ticks all the boxes for me, realistically. And I, I don't, I'm a massive believer in multiple streams of revenue as well. Mm. That's why it's not just sitting as the e-com mm. side of the business, just like, oh, let's just get the e-com mm. going. Uh, you do everything like, as at this particular point in time, my Amazon business in America is the only thing that's really making me money. Mm. You know, and if I didn't have that, I'd be sitting on my hands on JobKeeper right now mm. going, what am I gonna do? Mm. I'm just paying my bills, mm. you know? That's the way I see it. And uh, diversification, I guess, is really important to me as well. Okay, and what, what does it look like when you're 45 and you've made millions of dollars and you've got all these big companies, do you stop? No. Or you keep no. going? Yeah, I think so, right? Do you but have a, a cash out point? No, but it changes. It, like, uh, I don't know, I mentioned before, you know, it's like my three products that I had when I first started Junk Tech yeah. to try and jump on the trends. You've got you to gotta shift, yeah? yeah? Making money is the goal, but then once you've made money, what are you gonna do with that money? I have my first investment property, I wanna get another one. I do you know, share portfolio as well. Yeah. Diversify, make it grow. I just started my self-managed super fund this year as well. Cool. So it's just growing that to have a better life. What can I do after that? After I've made it, what could, what could I do that's, you know, important? What do you do? Yeah, I've been wondering about this. What do you do? I had a bit of a midlife crisis in 2016 yeah. when I made some money and didn't just sat around. Yeah, I've always wanted a house with a fountain and a and a um and hedges. I just thought <laughs> yeah. and picket fence. Yeah, nice. And and a Tesla in the driveway. Yeah, nice. But, but then I got depressed. Yeah. Why? Um, what's the point? Like, I think if you if you get if you achieve your dreams, mm. you go well. Why was I doing this? Now it's just a car. It's yeah. just a fountain. That's true. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. a house. What do you do after that? And so I'm really intrigued to, that's why I'm asking these yeah. questions. Like, what are you going to do when you get to the end? And I'm wondering what I'm going to do next. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. It's that accomplishment, that sense of accomplishment too. Like, I like to see it as well. Weren't you happy walking past the fountain? You know what? I think you've hit on something very important the idea of, um, that, that reward you get. I don't know if it's just a hormonal chemical thing in your brain, but when you're achieving. Yeah. And maybe that's the problem why I got depressed. Yeah. Because I just gave up. Yeah. Maybe maybe the journey, you know, the journey is more important than destination. Mm -hmm. um, it is though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. You're teaching me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So look, I, I think I'll probably be working to the day I die. It sounds like you will be as well. Yeah. Building, building, building. Yeah. It's fun though, don't you, you know? It's scary though. Yeah. Does that, you know, I don't know. Like for me, you know what's really scary? Like working 40 years, 50 years in the same job, nine to five, same thing, and then just you know, what's next after that? I mean, that's scary. You know, new challenges, new new things every day. You don't know what's coming at you. How do you, get, this fascinates me because I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I've, I've led a life of entrepreneurship, but through failure, people fire me or I quit job or whatever, right? Yeah. But you sound like a natural entrepreneur. And what you just said, like it's, you know, it's scary to be a nine to five. You sound like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? And all the greats. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, do you, how do I get that mindset? 
how do others get that mindset? Can we? Are you born with that? And I just, it, I think because it's, I'm doing what I enjoy, so it, it comes out a little bit easier for me. I'm not going to start, uh, a, 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 for instance, the only reason it comes to mind is like, I'm not going to start a calendar business okay. just for the money. I used to pick oh, pack okay. at a calendar place. Yeah. Like, Who even uses calendars? Well, that was one of my casual jobs while I was building the, you know, my business, picking yeah. calendars. You know, yeah. people would get orders and all that yeah. sort of stuff. I'm not going to do it just because it makes money. I don't yeah. like it. I don't okay. care for it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And it's yeah. just like, well, Am I going to be like that forever? Probably if I'm continuing to do things that really I enjoy and yeah. I see the worth of it. Like I enjoy the fire protection industry where I've pivoted into now as a technician because it serves a really important purpose, yeah. you know, protecting people from fire in, in, yes. in, in a building. I like yeah. it. I understand it. I've gone to learn the standards of why we do these things. Yes. It's important. I find it's very important. So I've pivoted into that as well because yeah. it relates into the technical side of what I'm skilled in as well. Mm. Building a system of detectors throughout a building that goes back to a central computer mm. <laughs> to monitor a building for safety. You know, mm. I like that. So I don't know. For me, it's just about the passion. Mm. So fire detectors, you know, I, I did a little bit of that with my uncle once. That, yeah. I thought it was all done by big companies, but they contracted out now to people. It is, you just need to be qualified to do it. You need to sort of open cabling registration, understand the standards of how to build um, spacing and all that sort of stuff. So, I hear yeah. it's good money in fire protection. It is. <laughs> it's very lucrative. Yeah. Why? why, why? It's an essential service. And like, yeah, but lucrative, why? The margins, there's not enough competition in there? Or is it going to get the way of the computer industry, commoditized service? It's not, it's not what we're selling. It's, yeah, it's the time. It's the money. You make money off labor on this. Ah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Like the detectors themselves are expensive because you can only get them off three or four manufacturers, you know, yeah. Notifier, Ampac and some other ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the time that we charge out to install all that stuff. Have it up to standard, certification, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Well, I'm really encouraged that you you seem very impassioned and passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. All right. Big problem. How do we find that though? It's a good question. I don't know. I just looked at myself of what, what I enjoy doing from a young age. You know, I enjoy taking computers apart, replacing things. That just fascinated me. Oh, for me, uh, <laughs> my dad got a computer at home. It was for his, for his work. And every time he like left the house, I'd always go on the computer and try and install programs mm. behind his back. You know, mm. sorry, dad. And um, something would always stuff up. And he'd come home to do work because mm. he got tax returns to do mm. or whatever. And he'd be like, you've been on my computer again. Like, mm. And so... It was sort of like it, I found for me that I'd make those mistakes and then I need to fix them and I'm on a timer like it's a bomb before I need to fix it before dad gets home and kills me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's from a young age that happened to me from through my mischievous naughty ways. Mm. It's sort of built that passion, I guess, in me. How do you find it for an individual? I don't know, self-reflection, I guess. Well, thinking about your childhood. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. What did you do repeatedly that you just got the thrill out of it, the enjoyment. For me, that was a thrill, mm. you know, from a bad way, I guess, but it turned into something that I really enjoyed. Speakers, home theater systems, all that sort of stuff. Like I do all that technical minded stuff. That's what I'm drawn to, mm. you know? So for me, that was self-reflection. I tried to, my parents like, go to school, they, you know, put me through a good school, go to uni, get a good job and you have a real good, comfortable life. I'm like, I hated school. Honestly, I couldn't stand it. It was nothing interesting on, honestly, nothing worth taking away from apart from speaking reading writing you know what is it do you get you don't know how to open a business do a tax return apply for a loan nothing nothing, nothing of importance is it did you, you know? do well or bad poorly 
I, I scraped through just easily, okay. you know what I mean? But by the end of year 11 and 12, I you know, wasn't attending school and all that sort of stuff. Wow. So it was a very decline. And for my parents, they didn't have, you know, nothing against them. It's just, they didn't have, it was like, go to school or get a job. Well, they're immigrants, yeah. right? No, my parents are first generation. Oh, sorry, my sorry. grandparents were immigrants, yeah. Okay. But all they knew was either work or school, you know, white collar or blue collar, sort okay. of, that they're my options. As time goes on now, you can punch in any sort of details into YouTube or Google to get more information or do a short course. Yeah. Times have changed. I had to teach that for myself that there is other opportunities rather than white collar, blue collar. Okay. You know? I feel that pain particularly for my, uh, my, my community, but my, my dad, I'm half Asian. Yeah. So, you know, doctor or lawyer or engineer, right? <laughs> and I went neither, any, didn't go any of those ways. But, yeah. Um, Entrepreneurialism within the the Asian community is is interesting. Um, there's a lot of parental pressure. I, I, I mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk. You a yeah. fan? Yes. Yeah. So he often talks about this, right? With mm. um, parental pressure and don't do what your parents want you to do just because they want you to do it, and then yeah. you live an unhappy life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's something I'm trying to explore. Yeah. But. Uh, what a, what a journey you've had. Um, I, I'm, I'm encouraged that there are people out you, like you out there doing this, mm. actually having a go. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that this series really inspires people to get out there and start something. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Mm. I, I agree. But it's a massive learning curve. You've got to be prepared for that. The, the biggest thing, are like some people ask me, younger people, like, what should I do? Like my cousins, one of my cousins just turned 18. What should I do? I'm like, mate, I didn't start anything until I was 25. 25? Yeah. Started, oh, so you worked the dead end jobs until 25? Yeah, pretty much. I was just stuffing around, doing, living, living the life. I was yeah. free from school. Like, I was like a 13 year jail sentence for me. You yeah. Know? I'm like, oh, I don't care what I'm doing. What are you going to do? What uni? I'm like, I don't care. Leave me alone. I'm just going to go live the best life. You yeah. know what I mean? It didn't yeah. do much, you know, yeah. <laughs> basically bumming around doing nothing yeah. but then one day it clicked for me I'm like I've got to get serious about my life mm -hmm. until that comes for you don't worry about it don't force it you know what I mean you sort of got to feel it get in tune with yourself I guess you know interesting don't force it yeah okay so no rush if no it takes rush. you a few years to figure yourself out yeah just get the get the job do whatever is have some you know think explore yourself whatever it is that you need to do to get focused and get motivated to do something once you've motivated to do something, then figure out what that something is. Just because you're, like you said, just because your family and everybody's pushing you to go into society's norms doesn't mean yeah. that you have to, hmm. you know? But obviously you need money to keep the lights on, so get a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what, did you have influences? Uh, people you looked up to? Should... My, my, my mum and dad, uh, just because of the two different sides of the families, right? Yeah. My dad's side of the family was nine to five, just wait for retirement. And yeah. then they, they retired. My grandfather retired at 55, was on the pension until he died, mm -hmm. right? My mum's side of the family, my, my well, immigrants, of course, grandfather came down here um, and he worked at Smorgans, you know, the no. meat, meat, uh, meat Talk burning place. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, like was, that's, that's the yeah. word, yes. And um, he worked very hard to get into his position to save all his money and bought his own butcher shop ended up having three of his own butcher shops throughout Sunshine and Footscray mm -hmm. and um, built it up and they bought investment properties and all that sort of stuff. And okay. my unfortunately, my grandfather died of a heart attack at 40 years old. 40? Yeah, but my nan never worked again after that day. Because of him? Yeah, because of everything that they built up. They sold the butcher shops, you had the investment properties and all that sort of stuff, all the houses were paid off. Yeah. So you versus the two sides of the family. And then my dad became an accountant. He was working for himself and my mom said, look, pushed him into becoming, having his own business, mm. you know? He was working for somebody on a good, you know, maybe 80, 100 grand, whatever, mm. then he opened up his own business. Mm. And that's when, you know, life became better. 
So just a simple comparison of, you know, influences. Yes, just a comparison of two sides of the family, you know, working a nine to five, retire at 55, sit on the pension, got to watch your money versus, I know it was a tragic sort of scenario on my mum's side. However, but looking at the outcome of hard work, entrepreneurship, it does pay off even in terrible circumstances. So I guess that was my influence and my drive. Work for somebody building their dream or just, you know, Build your own. If it's not successful, I'm still happy. You know what I mean? Doing my thing, slowly chipping away. Got my first investment property. Got these building, you know, these businesses building slowly, slowly. Self-managed super fund, my next sort of, you know, retirement fund. I'm in control of that. I'll see how it grows. It's not in reliance of some industry fund, you know? And it's going to be a learning curve. It sounds like you had a real life version of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. If you read, you read that. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, Rob Kiyosaki. 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 Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting in that sense. So you drive from that plus a good education and, you know, your, your family supporting you say, go for it. I still live at home with my parents and they're like, stay here and take your risks. Oh, I'm not married. I don't Brilliant. Have a, you know, they're like, yes. I don't pay rent. I don't pay bills. I'm very thankful. And I'm yeah. going to take advantage of those situations. Go for it, yeah. It's not the same for everybody else. And as you mentioned before, your friends want to do that. Yeah. You've got to analyze your situation, you know, yeah. for me. Why not? I'm all in, man. All chips yeah. all in. I don't care well, yeah. what's going to happen. I stay in my parents' house for a couple more years to yeah. build up, you know, if I went bankrupt or something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know. Okay. That's the way I see it. Did you have other influences as well or just your parents? Just that side, really. Yeah, that's the only influence I really got to find what I want. I had to come from myself a little bit, you know. Okay. Yeah. And are you driven? You seem pretty driven. Yeah, I try. I have to be, right? <laughs> well, you do, I'm not driven. Yeah. Why I'm, are you driven? How, how can I be more driven? Yeah, I don't know. Don't, I've got that burning. I just want to be successful. I don't want to be working till I'm 65 or 70 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or out of necessity. That's, that's the biggest thing. I don't want to be doing it out of necessity. Okay. You know, I do it by choice. I want to take some back. You know, if you really want to overanalyze something, we live in a world of the fractional banking system and we're forced to work. We're kind of slaves if you want to go how, down. How, that, do you, you know? how do you link the fractional reserve banking system to us having to work? Uh, so for, well, first, explain what fractional reserve banking is. <sighs> Essentially... Uh, made up money, lending of letting of, of credit on credit of money that doesn't exist. I mean, why are we paying on interest money to the bank that they don't even have that money? It's not backed by a commodity gold like it used to be. It's just printed into thin air. So if I put 50 grand of my money in the bank, yeah. there's not 50 grand in the bank? No. Where did that money come from, right? If you want to go all the way back to the source of the, the source of the money is originated from it's hard to say isn't mm. it a little bit we'd have to really trace it back but essentially no right mm. and it annoys me it just annoys me to my core that you know that, that's sort of the system why we're reliant and we give the value to that money and it's become a necessity for it to in the economic cycle you know from the top to the bottom it's needed we can't do anything with our life without money can we so okay all right so is it money or is it that money is simply a, a, a semiotic a symbol a, a signifier of something else because yeah. for me yeah isn't isn't money isn't that what it came in to, to be it's it's just a, a symbol a, a way to carry value yeah without you know say i labor for money and then mm. it, my, my labor gets stored as value within a certain amount and then i can trans i can trade that for someone else's work yeah, I, I agree. I'd like I understand that. Yeah, the concept, of course, it's there, but it's the other things behind it. Like, why is our money becoming worthless every year because of inflation? Why does inflation happen? Because the RPA controls it. They they put the the flow of cash in and out of the economy to control you know consumer spending and all that sort of stuff. It's just like where you, you know look at it as a bigger picture. We're not in control of anything. Mm. And if you leave your money in your bank and you're not getting two percent return on your money per year, 
you're losing it to inflation. Your money's worth less than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And like it's just forcing us nonstop. The cost of living is increasing nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, forced by other government things where, you know, they're forcing businesses to take more tax or personal income tax and then all those taxes are passed on to the consumer at the lowest level, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's just everything just costs too much and it's just every day going on and on and on, you know. So that's my drive is just like I see it for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, in a simplistic form and I'm like, I want a little bit of control back from this. But this is my form of control, I guess. And does that control come in accumulating more money or because you, you, you're saying it's an unstable thing to, to hold? Yeah. Is it accumulating brands, value, assets, hard assets? That's it, yeah. So one of a new investment strategy I learned recently last year was a covered call strategy on the stock market. A what? Cover call. Covered oh, calls, oh, yeah. Cool. So uh, you, you're aware of? Yeah, you calls, buy, but not covered calls. <laughs> so you buy a minimum of 100 stocks to write one call option yeah. contract. Yeah. yeah. So you keep that revenue. Yeah. And then obviously you make a bit of margin on selling the stock as well. So it's called covered calls because okay. you have the underlying asset. Okay. And it's making me like, you know, 10% returns on money per week. So I'm wow. growing faster than anything with that as well. I'm going to be using that same strategy in my... Um, self-managed super fund yes so you know it's that that control back for me yep. you know and then property property holds its value as well someone people need somewhere to live don't they mm. you know mm. and then i just look at other things that i'm passionate and enjoy like the tech side and for me i don't really care if i'm investing in this right wrong product i just enjoy it for me that's the process you know i'd rather be enjoying myself being broke building my own business than being broke working for somebody else so based on that philosophy, do you ever accumulate uh, lump sums or cash or do you quickly get it out into an investment or something? Get it out into an investment. I just, you know, from all the social media stuff that I follow is in influencers, investors, reading books, listening to people is that, you know, compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. Money that makes money, makes money, makes money. But not in a bank. Yeah, <laughs> of course, right? right? That's so, It's true yeah, though, yeah. isn't it, right? Um, so yeah, the, that Amazon business actually purchased an automation service. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was 25,000 US and that's where I put my money into that when I saved up the lump sum and then, you know, I just put it into property and then I put it into shares and yeah. self-managed super fund, whatever it is, maybe, yeah. Always got to keep innovating, trying new things, learning new things. You only know what you know, right? You got to mm. try new things and this entire ordeal process was education in itself as well. But that's scary though, putting out your money. I mean, most people live that nine to five and if they get their hands on a lump sum, whether it be 10K or 80K, you know, some... They get a redundancy and here's $75,000. Yeah. For them to then d- deploy that is very difficult. Most yep. people would put that in the bank. Yeah. And I've been guilty of this. I yep. just feel like I don't want to touch it. Yeah. But that's the wrong thing to do in learning. Uh, you got to be deflation at the minimum. So, yeah, I agree with you. Mm. Um, but then also, if you, it depends how much of a risk take you are. You know mm. what I mean? So, like, you can put things into government bonds, ETFs, and stuff like that. Like, mm. if you buy government bonds, they're sitting around 5% returns per annum. Mm. And they've got an expiry date as well. So, anywhere from two to five years. Pretty they're really safe. safe. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You, you That's get, better than the bank. Would you yeah, say 100%. 5%? Yeah, 5% per annum, yeah. Some of them are 8 depending on the, the, the term. Yeah. So, Australian, Australian government bonds. Yeah. 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 So like there's heaps of other things where you can just put your money that is safe. Yeah. Australian backed bond yeah. is like the safest you yeah. can get, yeah. you know. Um, for me, it's like, what's your money doing for you in there? I have a little bit of savings, tiny couple grand just yeah. for emergencies. You know what I mean? Um, but everything else is deployed. It has to be like, what am I doing with it otherwise? What's the point of having that number sitting on a screen or on my phone? What's it doing for me? Maybe it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like to know that you've got tens of thousand dollars in the bank mm-hmm. gives you that sense of security at night completely irrational perhaps yeah. but yeah. emotional yeah. yeah well what are you what are you preparing for though you know coronavirus <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, do, I, I see what you're saying and i 
I do have a little bit of a safety net as well, but my safety net is that I still live at home. So what really do I care? You know? All right, let me pose a thought experiment to yeah. you. When I was grow growing up, um, I, it, it, the problem of not having enough money. Mm -hmm. You, know, you want to earn more money, you want your business to do well. Mm -hmm. But then when you do start to do well, you get a new problem, too much money. Yeah. It's not that you have too much cash, it's yeah. that you don't know where to deploy it. And this is something I ran into and I thought, you know, you've got an extra whatever amount, you just you can't just let it sit there. What do you do with it? Yeah. I am wondering if that's a bigger problem. If you if you do well with your business mm -hmm. and uh, become quite successful, mm -hmm. I think you'll run out of places to put your cash. Well, you might not, but I certainly would. <laughs> yeah, again, that's a learning curve. Uh, I don't know. For me, I sit on the internet on Google and I follow people like I don't know. I follow investment pages on Instagram, and then yeah. you see people commenting on there or liking or they recommend other pages and I just go through that and you always learn something new. That's yeah. for me, that's how I find it. The internet is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. Because when we grew up, nothing. Yeah, nothing. Google was just starting to come out, wasn't mm. it? You know, mm. web pages were very basic. Mm. Um, now I feel like you've got to take advantage of that and I feel like, you know, financial ignorance is a bad thing mm -hmm. because we're not taught in it in, in school and mm -hmm. we really lack education in business and, and finances and tax and all that sort of stuff. But to remain like that mm -hmm. in our day and age with a computer in our hand, mm -hmm. with access to the internet, that's your own problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Get educated, ask people, get on a forum, do anything, post mm -hmm. a status. Mm -hmm. People will answer that question for you. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, get new friends. <laughs> get new friends. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, don't you think? If your friends aren't supporting you, is it? Well, what happened with you? Did were your friends supportive? Did you get new friends? Yeah. No. Like I uh, just, uh, I've, yeah, I've had a few friendship groups throughout the time, but my core fundamental friends have remained for almost thirty years. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah, twenty five years we've been friends. Yeah. And they're supportive and entrepreneurial in yeah. their minds. Some aren't risk takers. I've sure. got you know friends in public service that are like, yeah. nah, I don't want to lose the safety net, but yeah. they do do. Uh, investment properties and things on the side, but then their safety is there. You yeah. know what I mean? And then yeah. they're going to try their experiments of risk-taking on other ends. Other friends are just 100% um, independent business owners and that's yeah. it. You know, take it with the ups and the downs as it goes. Yeah. So what do you think about what's going on with, uh, just to round out the discussion on with coronavirus, with um, the way that small businesses are being treated? For example, yeah. right now, it seems that the big chains are doing really, really well. Mm -hmm. So we know from the lockdowns, Woolworths and Coles, yep. Woolworths Farmers, yeah, they're Killing. Revenues are yeah. killing it. Yeah, and for example, Bunnings is allowed to open, mm -hmm. but a little tiny hardware store is not allowed to open. Little cafes are being smashed. Yeah, uh, Harvey Norman's allowed to do massive business, but then you've got a little store selling the same goods. You kind of, what are your thoughts on it? Um, without getting too political, you uh, can get political yeah, if you want. I just, I believe fundamentally, the left wing don't really understand private the private sector at all it just goes to show that daniel andrews and his team is just like he's been a public servant for 22 years what the hell would he honestly know about the private sector have you seen his resume no I haven't it's hilarious is that so he went to um he grew up in i think it was in regional vic yeah and he moved into the city to go to uh, like a melbourne a catholic school or something yeah. and then at, straight out of there he went into a, a an arts degree <laughs> took him six years or eight years to finish an arts degree yeah. So obviously, you know, yeah, he's twenty one, mucking yeah. around. Yeah, it's yeah. a long time to do an arts. I did an arts degree, so easy. Yeah. Then uh, after that, he went into a labor office, mm -hmm. staffing an office. Mm. Then he rose up to be like some assistant minister, or like he just went straight into parliament, yeah. secretary, parliamentary secretary, and yeah. then parliament, and then premier, and that's it. That's it. No real jobs. Yeah. 
that's that's scary. And you know, the interesting side fact's got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it, the powers that he's using currently, do you know when he was health minister in 2008, he put them in? The public health and well-being. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Found that out too. I was like, ooh, conspiracy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> when I was explaining that act, I didn't know yeah. that he was the... Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I just, I find that... They, they don't understand. They don't understand it. it straight out. And that's why I predominantly vote right because it's you, you got to look at a government as a business and they're like oh no it's about people's lives yeah it is you got to find that perfect balance though because a business has a balance sheet and so does the government so therefore it's a business run it like a business you need to the public service is 100% funded from the private sector through taxation so the more that you cripple the private sector the more you're crippling the public sector and the benefits of what it's fundamentally there for to provide services to the community who need it the most. Stop crippling the private sector. The more they flourish, the more tax you're gonna get essentially. You know what I mean? Turning a, a, a six-figure business into a multi-million dollar business means more tax revenue. So stop crippling it with more taxes, just let them flourish, you know? Well, let's make a distinction when you say private sector. Yeah. Because I think what you're advocating for is those businesses, like you say, from six-figure, you know, smaller, medium businesses. Mm -hmm. Whereas most people's criticism of what you're saying would yeah. be, oh, Walmart don't need any more money. They don't pay any tax. Atlassian doesn't need more, mm -hmm. more money. But that's not what you're talking about, right? You're not yeah. talking about putting the power into Wes Farmers and Bunning and all that. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about that at all. It's like, you know, I, I just, just for an instance, superannuation, right, is just a 9.5% added on expense yep. for no benefit to the business whatsoever. It's right. for the employee. Right. Now, I'm all for pay your workers accordingly. You yeah. need to, yeah? yeah? But I'm just saying, like, that's just one thing. Mm. I mean, payroll tax in Victoria. Why Why is there payroll tax? Anywhere in the world, yes. Yeah. Get more employees and we're going to punish you by giving you an extra tax. Yay. Mm. Like, great. And, you know, Daniel Andrews didn't even knock it off. He deferred it. So he... Oh, he, really? Yeah, he deferred it. Oh, so you still have to pay it? Yeah. So you don't have the money this year, it's all right. You should have double next year, right? No, no, Left no. wing. Woo. Yeah, no, that's too, okay. too fun. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the, when you say left wing, don't understand. Does that then explain why, for example, in California, right? Yeah. So California is very left wing state in the US. Okay. Uh, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire, all these big names bringing in a lot of money to yeah. the state yeah. are moving out. They're going to Austin, Texas. They're going mm -hmm. to... Um, I can't remember where Shapiro's going, but various places. Mm -hmm. New York is the same deal. So New York City, yeah. all of their, uh, it's like the top 1% or top 2% of their income earners pays 50% of their revenue, yeah. generates 50% of their revenue. They've all moved out of New York and the governor of New York City, in New York is asking them to come back now. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing flight, yeah. capital flight and mm -hmm. uh, productivity flight. Mm -hmm. California just announced they're going to be upping their taxes. That's, I haven't heard about that, but that's, that's, yeah. what's the point? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? It's like Dan Andrews now, yeah. hypothetically coming out and saying, we're going to increase payroll tax yeah. next year. Yeah. Why are they doing it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand the logic behind it, but I do it in, in the, uh, a sense of like, they look at an empty bank account saying, how do we get money back in our government bank account? Oh, tax. Tax. You know, in the simplistic form of like, yeah, okay, that's how you do get it. But you really need to invest in the private sector, remove some sort of taxes to get that money flowing back. Just because it's not coming in one form of tax doesn't mean it's not going to come in another. Mm. Just straight up business tax, 30%. Mm. They're making a profit, you get 30% of business tax. Um, you know, okay, fair enough. That's, that's a federal tax, but, you know, payroll tax is a Victorian tax. Mm. So, How much is payroll tax? 
Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. I have to look it up. Yeah. I, I don't pay because I don't have enough employees. Sure, you sure. know, but still, you know, it, it, it's that's a Victorian tax, mm. and so is uh, land tax here is Victorian state, as well. State, yeah. yeah. So you know what I mean. And the, then Daniel Andrews is looking. He's like, how am I going to get money to invest in this community to make myself look better? Mm. You know, that's a worry for him too, isn't it? And you know, otherwise he has to look at the federal budget for money to allocate to. To, to Victoria to get a boost going on. And if, he, if Scott Morrison isn't going to cooperate with him, we're in big trouble. So why aren't business owners standing up? I don't know. I just, for me, in the short years that I've been voting since I was 18, mm. I, don't, I don't really see that the right wing really make noise like that, to be honest. We sort of mm. just get on. They just, business owners sort of just get on with the deal with it. What are we going to do about it? They're not the protesting type. I could be wrong. I haven't looked into right. it too much. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. just going to come time when he's voted out. If he doesn't fix this after this pandemic's done and we're out of jail and lockdown, if he doesn't fix it, he's, he's gone because this is made up of small business owners. Mm. You know, Victoria, we need to get back on our feet. Mm. Okay. You know, what's your opinion on that? Don't asking. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I I like to have different guests on the show, and I often will will play the devil's advocate for a reason. Yeah. I, I want to hear. Right, there's a good quote. Um, he who only knows his side of the argument mm. knows little of that. Mm. And so I I really think that ideas are, are, are forged in the fire, mm. and you know the most the most uh, the most productive. Um, evolutions in my belief, whether that be with faith or business mm -hmm. or whatever, have been when I challenge those beliefs. Yeah. And I, I love it. My wife doesn't like it so much. <laughs> she says, why are you challenging me all the time? I'm yeah. not trying to win an argument. Yeah. I'm trying her. I want what she's convincing me of to be stronger. So mm -hmm. I challenge it. It gets stronger. And I go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that's that's what I do with the guests. No, I agree with that. I like I like that challenge as well because I only know what I know, right? Yeah. I like to hear other people's opinion. I have a lot of left wing friends as well to listen to it, but I feel like they microanalyze just one situation instead of looking at the larger picture. Health is very important this time. Nobody wants anybody to die. Let's just you know put that out there. But there is other aspects of the economy that also function. You know why are you ignoring them? No, we're just going to focus on this. I'm not going to answer any questions about it. I don't care. You know what I mean? And anybody else that's outside that confine of that sort of structure and that narrative is selfish. And I don't like that because I have a life too. You know, and so does everybody else. What about all the people that died alone during this time? Mm. You know what I mean? And I just feel like, yeah, you can look at the economy side of the business, but there's a lot of other things that affect this, you know? Well, I'll do it to you right now. I'll do yeah. the devil's everything down. Yeah. So, okay, I get what you're saying. But, you know, you talk about capital, uh, capitalism, you talk about business and yeah. private sector. Yeah. What about people, Nathan? Yeah. All right. What about the what about the fact that running a government like a business mm -hmm. ignores that governments are the only institution mm -hmm. that can do unprofitable things. So let's say to 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 build something that's unprofitable like a road or provide healthcare to a certain someone or, or mm -hmm. subsidize a cancer drug or whatever. Mm -hmm. No business would do that cuz it's not profitable. That's why we need government. But it is though. So Bitumil builds most of our roads in Victoria and they privatise their company. They're through tender. There's a few road companies that do it, but they do it through government tender. They get their money either borrowing from the RBA or through taxation. And like they do it based upon, you know, that they're going to get a ridiculous amount of money from the government. Mm. I, I, 
I know what you're saying, but I feel like certain things need to be privatized because in the public service, you can't, it's really hard to get the boot. You know what I mean? I, I, I believe, you know, like when you do it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to really, I guess you'd have to go slap someone in the face to get, you know, the, to get fired from the public mm. service. Mm. They're very lenient. It's also a good thing because, you know, work, family life balance is a great benefit to have. Mm. Whereas privatization companies sometimes don't care about that. Mm. You know, finding that perfect balance at the end of the day, isn't it? And I do agree with you. But what I'm trying to say is the private needs, the pu the public needs the private. So stop strangling the private to get a, you know, more money out of it if you're not going to use it efficiently. Run the business efficiently. We need the roads. We need the hospital. We need really good schools and education for our kids, you mm -hmm. know. Well, I don't have any kids, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so you're not saying get, you know, we need get rid of the public. You're yeah. just saying the balance is wrong. Yeah. We need... We need a perfect or close to yeah. strive for perfection. We're going to get there. You know what I mean? Um, my Again, referring back to my grandparents, two sides of the thing, private health cover, public health cover. Yeah. My grandfather and my grandma, like in the public health, I'm like, nah, like I have private health insurance because I saw that I'm not in favor of it. And I don't want to talk down to any public, you know, nurses or doctors. You're doing a great job. You know, it's just that I see the difference in quality, I guess, yeah. and the resources available in the private sector and private health cover is just where I'd want to be, right. you know what I mean? Okay. And if we could get that standard in the public sector, yeah. there would be no no need <laughs> yeah. for private health insurance really, would there? Right, I'm not sure if that's possible. Yeah, uh, but he, you don't know, right? Yeah. If things aren't changed. All right, where do you see the culture going uh, in Australia? Because uh, people talk about the government, what the government does, what the Reserve yeah. Bank does yeah. and so on. I'm more interested in the people because they're, the, the license that the government has to do what they're doing now comes from the people. You've seen yeah. this news poll, 63% support Dan Andrews' handling of the lockdown. Hmm. So what is, your what is your feel on the community? Because I've only got my circle. You've got yep. your circle. Yep. Where, what are you feeling? Who are you talking to? And what are people's views on the lockdowns? Mm. Are you hearing any people dissenting and saying, no, no, it's, he's doing a good thing? What's a, going on? A few, yeah. Uh, but... They're, I don't know, I find them with my left-wing friends, like Barrack for left-wing, like it's a footy team. They can do no wrong, it doesn't matter. They'll always look at the positive yeah. or blame shift. You know what I mean? Oh, Scott Morrison's responsibility for quarantine. Like, yeah. oh, okay, fair enough, but Daniel Andrews stuffed it up, so it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change anything, does it? You know what I mean? And for all my friends that are left-wing supporters like that and who are open to a di open dialogue or whatever and challenging thought processes, um, they don't believe what he's doing is correct. It's getting to a point now where he keeps changing the rules and we're not confident in what it is. And, and when the time comes, we'll be happily voting him out. And obviously my dad, obviously being an accountant, speak to and have known some of his clients like their family friends for you know 30 years. Mm -hmm. No, they're not happy, you know? Where do you think the percentages lie? Well, Unfortunately, from my point of view, it's very biased because uh, small business owners throughout, you know, my community and everything like that. So yeah. it's no, not in favor. Mo you, most of your yeah. circle is not in favor. Yeah. So like, you know, speak to my dad about his clients and not happy, like we're struggling. Mm -hmm. Some people are not going to come back. My dad will be, you know, um, putting through some of his clients through insolvency after this, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. terrible. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, then you got the, the left wing sympathizers that are like, I stand with Dan and mm -hmm. they don't care what's happening. Mm -hmm. But you should care because... People make mistakes left and right, mm. and they need to be looked at for what they are, mm. and they need to be fixed. Mm. It doesn't matter who's in, in power, left or right. They need to be held accountable, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you think liberals will do a... You, I assume you think they'll do a better job? 
No, if I'm going to be completely honest with you right now, what the Liberals are in Victoria, no, I don't have any confidence in them either. Really? My vote will just be 100% anti-Labor. And I don't, it's unfortunate because if there was other people in here, you'd have strong arguments. You'd be hearing from these people. You'd be hearing some great ideas that we'd have to open the economy or challenge Daniel and Andrew government. They're just picking holes at what he's doing is incorrect. Oh, no, it's, it's bad mm -hmm. what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. No joke. But what would you do better? Okay. You know? All right. And, all right, let's look. I ask every guest this. Yeah. Predictions. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. To finish this off. Yeah. Everyone has different predictions, but what's going to happen and when is it going to happen? That's a that's a tough one, honestly. I don't know because of how erratic and reactive Daniel Andrews is. It's hard to say what he, with his new omnibus. I just feel like he's trying to keep getting more powers to restrict us. So it's hard to honestly. I really don't know. He's, he's a wild card, this guy for me. What about the people? Don't worry about him. Predict the people. What do you think we, as a as a city, are going to do as a state? Mm. I'd have to look at honestly the statistics of the devastation after this comes out. How many businesses are going to go under is really going to determine what's going to happen next, isn't it? How many people are going to be that angry to remember in 2022 when the times to come to vote? Um, will they remember it? I feel like there's going to be a lot of de devastation, unfortunately, unemployment and businesses going under that. I don't think he's going to get past this. That's my honest opinion. I just don't think it's going to happen. What's going to, not going to happen? That he's going to recover from That's this and our economy is going to recover. I don't think it's going to be good enough. Do you the, think 2022 is when we're going to have to wait or do you think things will happen sooner? I mean, you saw the beach protest a couple of days ago. Mm, that was much. interesting, wasn't it? I, I found it very interesting that there was no police there instantaneously like everything else, mm. you know? And yeah, I don't know. Did you see the behind the scenes of that reporter like dancing with all the people on the beach and stuff? No, and the tell. And yeah, so saw a clip of him at the beach. So they, the Channel 7 reporter that was there, he was like, you know, he saw an off clip of someone recording on the phone. He was like dancing with people. Someone coming behind you, jumped on his back and he's all dancing around and stuff. But I was like, mm, what's going on here? Yeah. Whereas on camera, he's different. Standing there, guys, look at everything, right, right, you know, oh. normal professional sort of yeah, yeah, interview yeah. versus off camera, he was dancing around, having a good time. Okay. And they're very interesting as well. So, like, you see all these, hmm. what's presented to you to your face and you have a look at the behind the scenes and you're just like, what is going on, you know? I wonder what's going to happen with summer. Yeah. As the weather heats up. What, hot topic of conversation in one of our WhatsApp groups is one of our friends is saying, he's like, summer comes, you cannot control Victorians, it's over. His lockdowns aren't going to come. What do you? What does he mean by not control Victorians? Because they didn't go out and protest on the fifth yeah. or the thirteenth. Yeah. So what do you mean by not control? They're like, not going to protest. No, not protest. They're just going to live their life. They're like, no care. Don't care about the masks. Don't care about your social distancing rules. No one cares. And I just got a strong feeling. I had that urge in me when I came home from work. You know that I was like, yeah, it's you know I got a deck outside of the back here. I'm like, yeah. you have friends over. Okay couple beers, pizza, this, that, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm hanging, I'm hanging for it, you know, right. to the point where I just kind of don't care anymore, you know? So that's what will happen. That's your prediction. People will start having backyard gatherings. It's going to happen, right? At some point, people are going to turn around and say, five cases, mate, you, you're out of your mind. Like, that, we're not going to enjoy life anymore. Everybody has done the right thing. Majority, you have to say, what, 99%? Yeah. yeah. yeah? We've, we've, we've stuck to the path. And now for you to turn around and say that the five kilometer rule may be in past October 19, mate, you're asking for an uprising. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's interesting that we talk about an uprising in Victorians and I was so disappointed that there wasn't an yes. uprising before, no. but I'm noticing there is an uprising, yeah. but it's in a different way. It's the yeah. getting on with our lives, like yeah. you say. That's it. It's probably better, actually. It probably is, isn't it? It says more about 
ignore you. Yeah. You can stand on your podium, you know, oh my God, we're going to yeah. fine you $20 million now if you don't stay at home. Like, yeah. All right, buddy, whatever, no one cares, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, know you, you know what I'm trying to say? It's so like, I was hoping that the protesters, while deep down inside of me, I kind of wanted to join in if it went mm. in the direction I was hoping yeah. for, yeah. get rid of him, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But seeing at the beach, everybody enjoying life, had an argument with one of our friends in the group saying, no, they're selfish, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, it's not. That's life. That's mm-hmm. how we should be. See how all those people have a smile on their face having mm-hmm. a good time? I don't know the last time I smiled like that since mm-hmm. this lockdown happened and I'd like to go back to smiling like that, you know? Nathan, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love what you just said was so brilliant now when you were talking about um, the way people are, Victorians are not necessarily getting up in arms against Dan, yeah. but it's getting to the point where they're going, whatever, mate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So I've got to go, whatever, yeah. find me a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's Listen, it. Thank you so much, no Nathan, for coming and discussing so many different things. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm hoping that people are encouraged by someone who's having a go and is, you know, he says that he's, he's in some ways, he's not doing so well and he's struggling with the lockdowns. But in other ways, you hear about his success in Amazon and everything. I think this guy's doing really well figuring out this entrepreneurial journey. So get out there, have a go if you can. Uh, and most of all, let's continue to be Aussies. Let's get on with our lives. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for joining me on episode four of the Business Innovation Series. Great guests still coming up. And the more we have these conversations, the the, the broader our understanding of business in in lockdowns and coming out of lockdowns will be. So I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the podcast, but more important than that, I hope you got something from it. I'm certainly growing as I talk to all of these guests. So I hope you did as well. And as always, thank you for spending such a large part of your day with me talking to some of these amazing people.